the Chicago Cubs are being sued. The city's U.S. attorney filed a lawsuit yesterday alleging that Wrigley Field is not in compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA for short. Wrigley Field is over 100 years old, but because it was renovated as recently as 2019, the stadium has to comply with the ADA. Joining us to break down this case is John Seidel, the Chicago Sun-Times federal courts reporter. Welcome back to Reset, John. Thanks for having me. Also with us is WBEZ sports contributor Cheryl Ray Stout. Hi, Cheryl. Good morning. John, where did this lawsuit come from? Um, well, it's it's something that's honestly been brewing in the background for, for a couple of years now. Uh, it was back in December 2019, we learned through a separate civil lawsuit that uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office was looking into whether or not um, the Wrigley renovation complied with the ADA. There was a, a, a lawsuit from a, a young fan in a wheelchair who complained that the renovation uh, left him unable to uh, uh, watch um, to, to enjoy games at, at Wrigley Field the way that he used to. And uh, that appears to have triggered this review by the U.S. Attorney's Office. And it was something that kind of just simmered in the background. But also, uh, I have to say, it means that the, the Cubs had a couple of years uh, to, to get, get right with the U.S. Attorney's Office yeah. and, and ADA compliance. Um, clearly, they did not do so to the satisfaction of the U.S. Attorneys, though the Cubs say that they have made offers to make changes to the ballpark. Um, but the, the U.S. Attorney's Office isn't satisfied, and they filed this lawsuit yesterday. So tell us what exactly it says. What, what are the alleged ADA violations in Wrigley Field? Yeah, I mean, they point to problems uh, in the bleachers, um, in the grandstand, in the upper deck. I, you know, in the bleachers, they say that there were, um, you know, there was great wheelchair seating where uh, uh, disabled fans would be able to see, even if other fans were on their feet watching the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I believe... Um, those wheelchair uh, seats uh, are kind of relegated to the to the back of the bleachers. Um, there's a Budweiser patio where, you know, wheelchair uh, users could sit if they uh, purchase group tickets, uh, but those tend to be more expensive. There's also uh, an area called the the batter's eye, but uh, apparently it gets uh, pretty hot in the summer. And and frankly, it just uh, uh, isolates uh, wheelchair users from from all the other fans in the um, the grandstands. Um, uh, you know, there there are club areas that wheelchair users uh, don't have access to, and and frankly, areas where they're just not able to to see uh, the game very well. Uh, you know, and the same thing up in the upper deck where they they just um, fans aren't able to look around. Um, wheelchair users aren't able to look around standing fans. I mean, the bottom line is. The, the U.S. Attorney's Office said that uh, the Cubs took great wheelchair seating, got rid of it, mm-hmm. and, and put them in places where they just can't enjoy the game like everyone else. Cheryl, what are, are your initial reactions to, to this lawsuit? What do you think? Well, I, I was surprised that it has been this long to happen. But when I think about what happened with COVID and the fact that there was no fans there for a couple of years, uh, I think now it's more relevant to know that that's with, with more people being there, that you can see these issues coming forward. Um, the one, one of the other aspect is besides the seating is that there's also issues with the concession stands and some uh, and, and also materials in the bathroom. So it's not just the seating. There's other aspects of this that's concerning. Fans have long criticized the Ricketts family, Cheryl. They, you know, they purchased the team back in t- 2009. What's their role in all of this? 
Well, they're the ones who are going to have to fix this. There's no doubt about it. They're the ones who are going to have to, you know, make a deal with with the, with a the complainant. They're going to have to make some adjustments. Uh, this is going to cost them some money, and they know that that's going to have to happen because otherwise, uh, they've had some bad PR with other issues, and this was just another one. John, as you, you mentioned, this lawsuit's it's been in the works since 2019. Why exactly was there a delay? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think Cheryl makes a good uh, point about COVID that, that could have contributed to a delay. Um, it could have taken uh, um, you know the U.S. Attorney's Office time yeah. to look into these issues. And, and frankly, from the cut statement, it sounds like you know maybe the U.S. Attorney's Office did give them a chance to to fix this rather than having it come to this. And what I think I see from between the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Cubs statement is, is just a, a real disagreement about whether or not mm-hmm. uh, the Wrigley renovation comes into compliance with the laws. I mean, I seem to get the sense that the Cubs believe that there's that the landmark status uh, might come into play here, but, but the, the, the U.S. Attorney's Office points in, out in this complaint that they pretty much tore parts of Wrigley down to the ground and completely rebuilt it. And that means the ADA um, applies here. Yeah. And so I, I think that's that's part of it. There's a real disagreement about what needs to happen. Cheryl, John mentioned the, the Cubs statement. What did they say? Well, they, they said that they're disappointed in what happened. They want to uh, try to get this uh, resolved. But they also stand pat saying that they have increased the accessibility for, for people with the, with the handicaps. They also believe that they've had enough uh, elevators put in and that they think that the, uh, they've helped with other aspects of it to make it a, a, a fan-friendly for people with disabilities. Of course, right now we know that's being challenged. Have the Cubs dealt with accessibility, accessibility complaints before? I have not heard of that before, uh, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. Yeah. Uh, the, the fact is, is that it prior to the renovations, it was very difficult for anybody with wheelchair access because there was no elevators. Now they have many elevators there, with that said, but there's still a lot of ramps and a lot of stairs for people that had to negotiate before they did the renovations. And the only thing they really did in the renovations as far as the teardown is the is in the bleachers. Otherwise, there was not really teardown. So mm-hmm. that was an area that they really could have done a better job with for sure. How do you anticipate this case is going to impact the team? Well, you know, they have a lot of issues with their on-the-field uh, team. But uh, I, I think... They want to get this remedy because you just they just cannot continue to have any bad press right now with a team that's struggling on field. I hate to you know put those together, but it's true. If you have fans not coming because the field uh, things on the field is not good, if you have off the field issues, that compounds it. Mm-hmm. What are you going to be watching for, John, as this case develops? Well, I imagine we're going to see some kind of motion for preliminary junction, try and get the a judge to to intervene here and and force the Cubs to make these changes. Um, Beyond that, I I imagine that uh, there will be some kind of negotiation here. Uh, Again, like Cheryl said, trying to come to an agreement here and and, um, get the Cubs to make some changes that will satisfy the U.S. Attorney's Office. That's John Seidel, Chicago Sun-Times federal courts reporter and WBEZ sports contributor Cheryl Ray Stout. Thank you both for the update. Thank you. Thank you. 
Now let's turn to a local disability rights activist for his perspective on this latest development at Wrigley Field. Now, in addition to his activism work, Mike Irvin is a writer and Cubs fan. Welcome to Reset, Mike. Hello. Hello. What's your initial reaction to the lawsuit? Well, I'm not surprised. Um, it, it seems like an ad- a general attitude where a certain entity will say they, quote-unquote, comply with the law. And when I hear the word comply, I often think of a grudging, a grudging uh, concession to obeying the letter of the law rather than the spirit. So I don't know. I couldn't speak to the specifics because I haven't looked at all the areas that the plaintiff mentioned, but I'm not surprised going the attitude that I've seen of the Ricketts family uh, that, that, this is, that this has happened, this has come up. Yeah. You, um, you attended games at Wrigley Field before the renovation, right? I have gone to Wrigley Field many years since I was a child, yeah. and the most recent time was in 2015. I haven't gone since then. Uh, I don't like going when the team is really bad. And uh, then, of course, there was a pandemic and nobody was going. Yeah, It's been a while since I've gone. I enjoyed going, but so, it's been 2015. So pre-renovation, Mike, what was your experience at the field? Well, it would depend, really. Um, there were areas like in the uh, in the regular grandstands where when people would stand, you couldn't see. And, of course, that happens and something dramatic happens. Um, there were areas of the bleachers that were better, but the last time I went, I noticed that the area in the right field bleachers where I used to sit did not exist anymore. It had been taken over by the Budweiser patio or whatever, mm-hmm. and they had created kind of a corral in left center field, and it was, it was very inadequate seating. I thought it was not placed well, and the main problem was there was a big black screen that was so thick and dense that it was hard to really see the field. And uh, it was not uh, anything that any real trader would have said, oh, yeah, that's a good place to put our seating in. Yeah. It seemed to me that nobody was consulted about it. And you, you've experienced Wrigley with and without elevators, too, right? Yes, years ago when I was a child. And uh, uh, in answer to one of the questions that was asked in the last segment, there was a lawsuit filed by uh, my late wife and some others in the 1990s that first brought about some changes and then of course there's been others since then you know we heard from our last guests that bathrooms are part of the complaint you know the, the counters are allegedly too tall for wheelchair users right. you're a wheelchair user yourself mike what do you think is that true uh it's probably true i, I couldn't i haven't used every bathroom and i didn't really know it the last time i was in there but I wouldn't doubt that it was true because, yeah. again, this compliance attitude is one of going with the letter and thinking, oh, that's not that important. We'll just, uh, mm-hmm. we'll just, you know, forget this little detail, that little detail, knowing that those details are there for a reason. They're not there to be picky. They're there because they're based on experience of people that live with wheelchairs. Yeah, you know, and you said the word there, compliance, right? This suit is about ADA compliance. Is compliance itself enough here, Mike? I don't think so. I think the problem when I went into accessibility many years after the ADA has to do with people that, uh, again, don't really embrace what the ADA is all about. It's about inclusion. It's about welcoming. It's about people really fully enjoying things as much as people right next to them who aren't disabled. And when when I hear the word 
when I hear somebody defend themselves by saying they're compliant, again, my mind always thinks, oh, they're just looking at the law Mm -hmm. as some kind of nuisance that they have to obey. So I think that uh, what probably did not happen here is there probably wasn't consultation with actual folks with disabilities through the whole process. Right. And also with folks with disabilities who are going to tell you some things you don't want to hear and are going to tell you to do some things that you hadn't thought about or that you didn't think were important before. And uh, that's really, I think, what's what, where the problems come from and where the solutions come from. Well, well, can you share some of those things with us, Mike? What would true accessibility look like to you? Well, in terms of specifics of the field, I mean, in, in terms of just venues like that in general, that yeah. are entertainment venues, it's supposed to be that people with disabilities don't necessarily have to get to every square inch of the facility, but they do have to be able to enjoy what they have to offer as much as everybody else. So for instance, if you have two sections that are, one is expensive and one isn't, you can't just make the folks with disabilities sit in the most expensive section and pay extra money, things like that. So I think what has to happen is that not only whoever's in charge of this renovation will have to make some changes, as Cheryl said, but they'll have to make those changes in consultation with some genuine diverse voices from the disability community yeah. before they make them and get some idea as to what just not is legal according to the law, but what is actually practical and fair and welcoming for folks with disabilities. Yeah. What are you looking for from, from the Cubs response here? I'm looking for something a lot less defensive. I'm looking for something that says, yeah, we screwed up. Uh, we we didn't take this law as seriously as it should. We're going to try it again, and we're going to do it right this time. We're going to we're going to get together with a diverse group of people with disabilities, not just find a few people that can agree with us and rubber stamp what we did, and we're going to get their genuine input on changes, and we're going to negotiate something that that uh, representatives from the community, including yeah. the plaintiffs and those that are involved in the lawsuit feel is not just compliant, but fair and welcoming. Before I let you go, Mike, anywhere else in Chicago where you see a lack of accessibility for people who use wheelchairs or other mobility aids? Well, of course, the main thing is still public transit. Uh, there is still quite a bit of inaccessible uh, subway stops, including the one close the one closest to my home, which is about a block away. Uh, that's the main place where you see a lot. And again, in entertainment venues and such, where you see the problems that we're seeing here, it's because of that same attitude of I just have to make as little room as possible for these disabled folks of the, and then I will obey the law and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. That is disability rights activist Mike Irvin. Thank you so much for joining us, Mike. Thank you for your attention to this issue. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.